0: Welcome to the TREACH podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson, and I am sitting here with Reverend Doug Meyer, and we are starting a new podcast podcast series. And this is the inaugural episode of that series called Unlearn Faith. And so together we are going to wrestle through faith questions. Uh, But first I want us to introduce ourselves. Many of y'all know me. If you listen to the podcast, I am the digital strategist here at TREACH. And what that means is anything you see on a screen or hear in your earbuds, I probably had a hand in it in one way or another. Uh, But Doug, you are the Associate Pastor of Caring Ministries, and could you tell us what that means? Because I don't know if I've heard that title at any other church.
1: So, Caring Ministry, I think it's a made up phrase here because we, uh, historically, my role has been like uh, Associate Pastor of Pastoral Care or Congregational Care. And those all seemed like very old churchy words. And so, a couple years ago, when we were trying to uh, have vocabulary that had a, a more comfortable reach, we just went with the word caring because most people understand caring. So, um, yes, I'm the associate pastor that oversees our caring ministries, which basically uh, entails a whole lot of folks doing a whole lot of caring in a whole lot of different ways.
0: Well, and I'm excited for this series that we're calling Unlearned Faith. And it, when I first say unlearned faith, some people might cringe a little and be like, what? I don't. Why should I unlearn faith? I'm trying to grow my faith. I'm trying to learn. So this kind of was born, you actually in a sentence said, I'm trying to unlearn my faith. And I was like, ooh, that's interesting. So tell me a little bit more about where this series came from. Okay,
1: It grew out of a uh, kind of a stage in life that I'm in that I invite others to feel comfortable going to, which is identifying the stuff of life, including a big swath of faith that we just absorbed, just like a sponge, just we sucked it in. And um, now, years later, or even a day later, I am willing to go, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Or I used to use the phrase wonder and wander. Like I'm going to wonder about that and be uh, curious and uh, ask why a whole lot. And almost to the irritating point, uh, and I only do that because I have found a uh, kind of a newfound freedom in uh, courage, I guess. You know, for the longest time as a kid growing up, um, that was a taboo. You didn't question. You didn't doubt. You might remember. And this might be before your time. There used to be a bumper sticker, especially down here in the South that said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it.
0: Oh, yeah. I know that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, that was just kind of a reinforcing, intimidating thought that, if you do the opposite, then you're, you know, a sinner, a bad person, shouldn't do it. You have a weak faith. You're not close enough to God. You've backslid, you have know, all of those classically shame-filled judgmental phrases that I think are a bunch of hooey. So uh, anyway, so what a great adventure
0: mm-hmm. to be able
1: to identify the stuff that you've been carrying around that you wonder about. Hopefully, we're going to give people permission to do that. And if it scares them, that's okay. They can just kind of stand on the sidelines. We're not going to, you know, pull anybody into water that's over their head. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where it all came from. That's what's kind of bubbling in me.
0: Yeah, so when we're saying unlearn faith, it's not saying disregard your faith right. or what you've built to this point. It's saying, let's discover something new. Let's unlearn the parameters that have been put and the rules that have been put around our faith and have deeper conversations together about why do we believe this? What does it really mean for us? Where did these constructs come from? And so every month we're going to focus on a different faith topic. So for example, next month we're going to be focusing on pride, Uh, but we're going to cover things like doubt and temptation and grief and loss. And, and we're going to unlearn these constructs that we've put around them and just ask some questions. And I'll give y'all more details about what that means at the end of this episode. Uh, But the first thing I want us to do as we're stepping into this journey is what I am calling claiming our biases And because you're going to hear Doug and I over the next few months or however long you tune in with us, uh, talk about some really hard topics and our personal opinions. We're not trying to represent the Methodist church. We're not trying to represent what TREACH believes or anything. We're just speaking from a personal level. And it's almost like you're being invited into a two person Bible study that we're doing. Um, And so first we want to start by saying we are biased. We have come with our own baggage, our own experiences, and we uh, view the world in our own unique way. And so when I say claim my biases, what I mean by that is, you know, for example, one of the things I'm going to claim is I am a white woman who grew up with wealth and I've never really struggled when it comes to, I've, I've never been afraid that we aren't going to keep the lights on. I've never been afraid that we aren't going to have enough food. I've never been afraid I'm not going to have shelter. All of those things. And that's one of my biases that I bring to the table. What do yeah. you have?
1: Oh, man, I got a whole laundry list. Uh, you know, I like that word bias. I also sometimes use the word lens. Like, um, this is the way I see the world. This has shaped, you know, back in the day when I wore glasses. Like, so... Um, gosh, where do I start? I am a 60-ish-year-old white male pastor that has, in and of itself, some uh, inbred bias and uh, misunderstandings or limitations, both I put on myself and then other people, you know, oh, if you're a pastor, you must, and they, you know, they fill in the blank for the longest time, I kind of like, I, I agreed, I did, and I, you know, it's kind of an ego massage in a way. Uh, the other one I have is I'm, um, I'm a dad of uh, grown-up kids, a grandpa to grandkids, so I see, um, I'm biased towards their future. Hmm. Like, I, I want us to uh, cut out a lot of the crap that we're doing, especially killing the earth, so that they will have an earth, and then their kids will have an earth. So I have a real, um, uh, almost vigilante attitude towards like recycling and protecting and energy use and the rainforest. Yeah.
0: Well, and I have, I have the same thoughts, but the opposite bias. I don't have kids. And I, uh, as a result of that, I don't have the same worries and responsibilities that a lot of people in our congregation or a lot of people that might be listening to this podcast have. And so sometimes I have a more simplistic view of, well, you know, just get it together when the truth is there are four other people depending on you or whatever. And I, I don't have to deal with that. So that's another one. Another one I we kind of share is we are both divorced. Yep. Uh, that is a bias not from each other, not from each other. <laughs> I, uh, am also a feminist mm-hmm. and I am a proud feminist, but what that means is sometimes I carry a chip on my shoulder about men and I am working through that. And I've been working through that for a long time. I think that my divorce amplified that a little sure. bit. Right, well, uh, but yeah, that's one of my biases. Yeah.
1: So, um, I uh, was married for 32 years, a long 32 years. I mean, it was happy for the most part. Uh, we grew up kids and all that, and then the wheels just fell off. And um, so I guess what that bias presents for me is an empathy towards people who uh, – marriage is hard. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot of us were shaped with this fairytale understanding of it. And uh, so I have a bias. Like when I counsel couples nowadays – I make them tell me why they why are you getting married? What you know to help them shape their uh, uh, expectations, right. which I think a lot of people. I mean, we got married our senior year in college, and that was just what you did back in 1980. And that to me, that's just not enough reason to get married. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I guess um, I'm a moderate, maybe. Uh, moderate leaning left on some things and then you know fiscally I'm pretty conservative and part of that's just out of like uh, hey don't jack with my retirement money <laughs> 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 but in other ways you know I, I, uh, I, uh, I live kind of you know loose and easy with a whole lot of the rest of it so uh, and part of that's just trying to be less worried about stuff I grew up worrying about.
0: Yeah I am a uh, Politically and spiritually liberal. <laughs> and I think yeah. that when we start to dive into uh, spirituality and, and beliefs, I think there are a lot of people out there who would say, Alyssa, you're not actually a Christian. Uh-huh. You're more of a universalist or whatever sure. it is, or an agnostic or, and that's a, a constant um, conundrum for me of like, okay, I work at a church, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I am filled with doubt and questions and all of these things. And I am liberal in my exploration of who could God be? What could God be? And, uh, that is a bias that I carry. It's really hard for me to look at things, uh, as black and white, like you said earlier, God said it, I believe it sort of thing. Um, yeah, but On the other hand, another bias of mine is I grew up in the faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is second nature to me. And it is like the church language. I understand all of it. The tribal stuff that we talk about. I understand all of it. And so I understand all. a lot about scripture, a lot about uh, people's different interpretations. I've heard almost all of it, yeah. but sometimes that means that it's hard for me to relate to somebody who didn't grow up in the church and they're discovering all of this. And some of the things that I take for granted, one of the things I realized I take for granted is the Lord's prayer. And I remember we had this huge push maybe like 10 years ago at this church of, Hey, let's start printing the Lord's prayer, putting right. it on the screen. Not everybody knows it. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Not everybody knows it. And that's my bias. It's funny
1: when we name those assumptions? Yeah. Because yeah, we have a, a bunch of them and we just assume even like, uh, yeah, so that people know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. and what's a testament, and, and or even
0: how to find places in the Bible of what does it mean Matthew five thirty two through thirty six. I don't know if that actually what?
1: exists. I know. Look does that it up go right all now. the way up to thirty two. Like I don't some know. Some harsh verses. Yeah, throw the children on rocks.
0: Yeah, whatever. I do not have scripture memorized. So,
1: I, too, I'm a church kid. I grew up, and that was my jam. Like, when I was a little kid, there's all sorts of pictures of Dougie Meyer getting all dressed up uh, in Channelview, Texas, and going off to church. And I was, uh, and still am, kind of a messed up people pleaser. And, you know, that's where I would go and recite my little memorized verses and got my third grade Bible and get, went through confirmation and did all the stuff. Because church, for our family, was a big social outlet. And that was kind of where, you know, in a small town suburb, that's, wh- that's what you did. And it was a Methodist church with hard leanings to the right. And uh, that was kind of the breeding ground for a whole bunch of my isms and um, layers of guilt and shame and fear that were supposed to be corrective for behaviors that were seen as outside the bounds of okay or a good Christian wouldn't or couldn't or shouldn't. And, uh, yeah, that messed me up for a long time. But not enough to not then – get an undergraduate degree in Christian education and to get another degree in theology and to keep pressing on into church. And then I've been, uh, fortunate, I guess, to have worked in a number of what I'll call tall steeple churches. And somewhere in all of that experience, I began to also see the underbelly of the church and, uh, saw the business side of what I would some days now call sarcastically the company. And, uh, It has uh, jaded me, so I have to own at times I'm kind of a a sarcastic skeptic about the church. And
0: what are your motivations here?
1: And what's it all about? And, you know, I'm going to say I... uh, but I also depend on the church for my paycheck, mm-hmm. <laughs> so
0: I know that's a, it's hard because at the end of the day, yes, the the church with a capital C is really the people in the community, but it's also a corporation that is paying thousands upon thousands of people and is providing income for thousands upon thousands of people, and so it does get kind of icky sometimes when sure you, you work at a church and you see how the sausage is made. And mm-hmm. um, you know, that's one of the reasons I had to decide, you know, for me, that I have to have a professional boundary, and so I love Treach so much. This is the church that I grew up in, but what I discovered, it is hard for my place of work to also be my place of worship. Oh yeah, I and get that. yeah, and so I had to choose a different church home uh, because of that. But I love this church so much, and I see so much potential in this congregation and all the good that they do in the community. Sure. but yeah, that that's a struggle.
1: Well. T- just to give this church a little kudo, and it didn't ask for this, but the very fact that we can do this, that there is a, a, uh, a space that is safe, that I as a pastor, you as a staff person, a director, can step into and go, yeah, we're not real sure, because in a way...
0: And there is no fear of getting fired for not, us claiming not,
1: that. Not yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it's because in a way, if you compare it to a company, we're kind of questioning our product, mm. right? And we're, we're like saying we're not really sure that we're making the very best chicken sandwich possible we're going to tell you we are and so like a chick-fil-a employee would probably get fired today if they went on air and said yeah you need to see how they really make you know put the crack on the uh, (laughs) the fries or whatever so uh this is going to be fun and and for some people i i agree with what you said earlier um i guess i want to say don't be scared and uh if this is like too big, too much, and it breaks all your mental rules about God and faith, you don't have to listen. That's fine, uh, or just listen and go. Yeah, I think they're crazy, and that's mm-hmm. okay. We, we, uh, I don't know. I've been called a whole lot worse than crazy, so uh, just imagine uh, an invitation into curiosity. Yeah, and that it's okay, and the world is not going to shake underneath your feet, and you know you probably won't lose any sleep either.
0: So so part of this exercise of claiming our biases was for you to get to know us a little bit better, for you to understand where we're coming from, but also we want you to think about what are some of your biases as you're listening to this? What are some of the things yeah. that you bring something different to the table? You bring a different perspective. And we are not doing this because we want everybody who's listening to agree with us. We are doing this because we want to open up a conversation and have a dialogue. And if we uh if I make a faith claim for myself that you're like, Ooh, Alyssa, I don't think you fully thought that through or Alyssa you're making opinions based on your biases. Call me out on it. And I know I've already given Doug permission to do that as we move forward with this and him say, "Mm, Alyssa, I think that's a bias. Think about that a little more.
1: (laughs) And um, you know, I think that one of the things that I've had to unlearn is that uh, questioning is wrong. Mm -hmm. So I accept that questioning, yours or mine, is okay. So I don't feel the need to correct you in the midst of a questioning or wondering or wandering, because I think that's a really healthy kind of exercise. Whereas in my past, I would have been fearful for you that you're crossing some kind of taboo. And that it was my job to help save you from that taboo, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess ultimately hell or something—I don't know. But, well, it's uh, the
0: it's the accountability that's what we oh, we yeah, call yeah, yeah, it yeah. in church world is yeah. holding each other accountable. accountable.
1: <laughs> that's a funny kind of permission giving statement to get into each other's business mm-hmm. or to cross all sorts of boundaries, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's crazy thinking.
0: Well, and and you opened up a perfect seg- segue into some of the things that we want to talk about today, which is. What are some of the things at a high level, at a big umbrella level, that you've had to unlearn about your faith?
1: You want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. That, uh, so I already said the one, that questioning is wrong. Yeah. And, and so flip that. No, questioning is good. Full, go full throttle into questioning. And um, I uh, frequently have been known to say that if anybody stands in a pulpit and tells you in you know, no uncertain terms this is exactly what that text says or this is exactly what you're supposed to do, you should get up and leave immediately, (laughs) that they, uh, you are as gifted as they are in understanding the Bible and intellect. I used to think that that was uh, reserved for like a very super special group of people who had some kind of, uh, I don't know, insane giftedness to read the Bible in Hebrew and Latin and Greek all at the same time and to understand it and to have gotten in Jesus' head. And man, I just went wacky on that. And here's the real truth. You have an intellect, you have a brain, you can read it, you can understand it, and you can absorb into it today what it's saying to you.
0: Hmm. I, I think that one of mine that stems from childhood that I've had to unlearn is uh, the goal is to get into heaven. The goal of Christianity is to get into heaven or to stay out of hell, however you look at it. Uh, And I don't think that that's something that was specifically taught to me. It's just part of the culture that is just kind of subliminally instilled within you. Um, And well, I remember everyone thought like, oh, it's just this clever acronym for Bible basic instructions before leaving earth. Oh, and I, wow. I, I don't know if you'd heard that before. I don't think I have. Yeah, I've heard that one a lot, and I'm like, ooh, there's nothing basic mm-hmm. <laughs> about the Bible, and I, the instructions are very unclear, and is really the whole point of our faith for this little blip in time to make sure eternity is secured. A lot of people who are listening would say, yeah. Olympic. But it's all about
1: making sure you have your reservation and
0: Yeah, but your, then it, it feels it makes life feel empty to me if that's the way I, I look at it. And so that's one of the things that I've slowly been deconstructing over time of you know uh, the goal is not to get your ticket into heaven. Whatever heaven may be. Wherever that is. Or may not be. Whatever. That's a different podcast episode.
1: (laughs) So another one that I had to learn is that, uh, so we say it in old church, but I don't know that we always meant it, that God's love is unconditional. But then there was an asterisk at the end of that, as long as you don't or aren't, Mm. you know, as long as you don't uh, have sex outside of marriage or masturbate or think impure thoughts or have you know uh you're gay or you have an affair i mean there's all it's
0: all around sex too which is the thing i've had to unlearn we we pour on the shame when it comes to sexuality but continue what you were unlearning yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. well so uh as a guy in recovery for a long-term addiction to pornography i uh i thought that god's love was for everybody but me and so when i began to experience kind of this newfound freedom to name my addiction to live into recovery, and to hear those phrases that, yeah, God, God's love is for everyone. Everyone includes you, too. That uh, I realized that what I had uh, been carrying for this really long time is this big bucket of shame, and that I looked at the word unconditional through the lens of shame, and I just couldn't figure that out. And so once I began to dissolve the shame, the unconditional became clearer. So that's going to come up a lot because I really think that the church still kind of jacks people around with unconditional as long as, Mm -hmm. and that's hooey.
0: Well, and, and that kind of leads into one of my things I had on my list for what I've unlearned is just the, the basic statement, sex is bad. Mm -hmm. And, Again, that is not something that was directly taught, but especially as a young woman growing up in the 90s, early 2000s, it was a reboot of the purity age where dads were giving their daughters promise rings. We were doing purity classes. There were all of these things. And I, I will never forget, and I've heard it so many times, the phrase, why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? And it was said to so many young women over and over and over again. And then also on top of that, the um, the uplifting of the Virgin Mary mm-hmm. and how important her virginity was to this whole process. And what that message told me is that if you have sex, you have lost your value. Mm-hmm. Your value as a young woman lies in your virginity and you are worthless if you give that away. And even like saying that out loud, I get a, my stomach starts to churn a little bit. um, And I just think that, there is so much negative um, and I, you know, I'm not going to start to get into like the premarital sex conversation and all of this stuff. And um, because our, our basic understanding as a church is don't have sex until you're married. Mm-hmm. Well, I just don't know if that's the healthiest view of sexuality. Sure. Um, and, and so yeah, that's one of the things that I've had to unlearn over time and I still struggle with it. I still struggle with, okay, where is my value? Now that I'm a divorced woman, it is very clear to everybody, I am not a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> and where is my value now yeah. that I am back in the dating world and I'm, you know, it, it's it's something that I wrestle with still, even though I know it's ridiculous.
1: That's something, how strong <laughs> that is? Yeah. You know, I think that... Uh, There's all sorts of stuff. And I don't know. I kind of hope we have time to unpack all this forever, you know, like about, especially for women, there's all, uh, and men, there's different uh, rules, spoken and then unspoken rules about our sexuality. And you go way back in time, 1600s, 1700s, maybe even before that, uh, as a, if you were my daughter, as your father, I had to extol your virginity because that heightened your value Mm -hmm. to suitors. And you were seen, deemed unacceptable if you had been soiled or spoiled or whatever and lost your virginity, you were you had less value. And hopefully we have come a long ways from women's value being assigned by their sexuality. I don't sexuality. know if we've
0: come as but, far as you think. <laughs> I agree. But see, so what
1: I think happened is yeah. fear was used as a behavior modification plan. Mm-hmm. And so whether it was to uh, young women especially, but also to young men, but then I think, to young men, it was a bit of a wink-wink.
0: It was boys will be boys. Boys will be
1: boys. And, you know, what happens in locker rooms stays in locker rooms. And uh, dads had a different tone in speaking to daughters about sexuality mm-hmm. than they did their sons about sexuality. And uh, and
0: not all of that stems from the church. It's at a cultural level, too. It's a puritanical culture. We were sure, sure, sure. built on a whole—so I don't want to blame the church completely for it. But.
1: No, but— but like a lot of us, I grew up in a youth group that sang from that hymnal. And so it just continued to pour into it versus the option to engage in conversations about what is our sexuality? Is it more than our plumbing? Is it more than this? And uh, what's it mean to be male? What's it mean to be masculine? What's it mean to be fe- uh, female and, and feminine? And, mm-hmm. uh,
0: and if you are female, are you only feminine or are you also masculine?
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. as a male, are you only masculine, but are you also feminine? Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, okay. <laughs> is your skin crawling yet, listeners? <laughs> we don't want to scare you. This is just our personal things that we've had to unlearn. Uh, another thing on the, on the lighter side that I've had to unlearn is that faith is a battle. Uh, We, and I think that this comes again from cultural norms. We see it as it is a battle between good and evil, right and wrong. There is a tension. It is God versus Satan. There's this, this versus warlike mentality with faith. And uh, we are fighting temptation. We're fighting, we're battling, we're all of these things. And I think that These metaphors have done so much damage to what our faith could be. And that's something as an eight on the Enneagram, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Enneagram every now and then, uh, but I am a, a very much a black and white thinker. And that's something I have to break away from. And I am often of the mindset of either you're for me or you're against me. Mm -hmm. There is no in between Mm -hmm. and I have to break myself of that dualistic thinking Um, and I've had to do and have to continue to do that same work with my faith is it is not dualistic. All can be true. There is good and evil, and it is present within us, and it is not an ongoing battle. It is part of our human nature. And and things like that that I'm slowly over time being able to accept the whole picture of things, but I still find myself every now and then viewing it as a war and a battle, and it's the angels versus the demons and who's going to win in the end.
1: Yeah. One of the things I'm unlearning is that— um you know, Christian is easy, mm. and that you uh, it's it's uh, you pray, you uh, you know you're nice to people, that you give some money to the church every now and then. You contribute a can of corn to the food drive or, or whatever. And the praises
0: th- go up and the, the blessings come, come down. down. <laughs>
1: exactly, <laughs> <laughs> hey, girl. Uh, but I so what I've learned is uh, church slash faith slash discipleship is messy, it, um, and I think it is its best when it's dirty and messy and gray, and, uh, you know, I, I like to see it more as, like, people uh, helping, uh, re, you know, rebuild burned-out houses or helping, you know, pick crops that were left over in the fields or uh, helping, uh, you know, people who have lived on the margins find shelter. I think that a uh, big corporate church is nice, but it kind of feels more like a pep rally. Mm. And um, I think sometimes, uh, like, when I see the church in its big, like, you know, regalia. Splendor. Splendor, yeah. yeah that uh, Jesus would, like, let's just say Jesus went in the neighborhood one day and walked by and was like, wow, what's this? What are y'all doing? Oh, we're praising your name and we're going to be like, What? No. no. Get out of this building. This is not, y'all have it all wrong. <laughs> I think we have pieces of it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of times I think we have more wrong than right.
0: Oh, man. What would Jesus think of an Easter service? <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that We pull out all the stops for that. I don't know.
1: I think he would say, okay, you guys are nice. Y'all got it. Now go invite people who are living under the bridge. Yeah. Or just go have dinner with the people under the bridge or something. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> my right.
0: my last one that I have on my list is just, is something that I'm uh, just, my feminism is going to shine through. God is a man. Uh-huh. That's a big one. Um, and it comes from the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but our father, and of course, like there was no other way to see God at that time because it was so deeply ingrained of like, women are property men are at the top of society, no chance in their cultural view that God could be anything other than a man. But what we neglect is, uh, where in scripture, God is compared to a mother. God is compared to a mama bear. God is compared to a a mother breastfeeding, breastfeeding her children, you know, nurturing and, and all of these things. But I also have to unlearn, um, that God is a gender because what I wanna do is say, well, I'm gonna pray pray to God our mother Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna view God as a woman because that's what makes me feel safe. But then I think I'm missing the whole point of we don't need to assign a gender to God. We don't need to assign a persona to God, but we do it because that's the way we understand the world is through our own humanity.
1: Yeah, and if you, um, you know, we, we are on, this, on the edges of acknowledging that um, we don't all have positive experiences with either gender. Right. And so for some people to say our father pushes all these buttons of perhaps uh, male abuse, father abuse, or somebody, and so the last thing they even want to think about is praying to somebody that has male attributes, Right. And then, folks, my age and older, who are just beginning to understand that—if um, I
0: started the prayer, "Our Mother, who art in heaven," oh
1: my gosh, can you imagine? I would be called
0: maybe? a heretic, probably,
1: <laughs> or worse. Um, and so, to imagine God, the Creator, and that's enough, hmm. and that you know, not assigning gender um, to me is, is a just a cool mental experience, you know, experiment. And maybe I can embrace that. You know, I don't, uh, I don't think I assign one or the other, but I certainly grew up thinking God was like this, like my grandpa. Like an
0: old man with a beard sitting old, in the clouds. a white man
1: yeah. on a big chair in the clouds, just kind of always watching over everything, especially me.
0: Better. Yeah, of course. I think I ventured into God being a woman for a long time because my mom tells me a story of when we went to New York and saw the Statue of Liberty, and I thought Lady Liberty was God. All right. So, <laughs> oh, right.
1: Wow. Yeah, some people probably think that. Yeah. Today.
0: Yeah. I said, "Look, it's God." <laughs>
1: All right. So what are they going to have to do to participate with us?
0: Well, so first we've gone into this deep dive of all of the, well, not deep dive, a surface level dive of many things that we've had to unlearn in our faith. And we'd like to invite y'all to share some of the things with us. What have you unlearned in your faith? What are you working through right now? What are the things that you believed without question as a child, but then as an adult, you were like, you know what? I don't think that I was getting that right, which is... Okay, we all do that as sure. we grow in our faith. Um, and then next month, we are going to shift our focus to a specific topic and we're going to call it Unlearn Pride. And we are talking about and defining pride in the sense of scripture um, as a sin, not pride as in the pride celebration, which there's a whole different, yeah, pride parade. There's a whole different, you know, pride in that sense means more of like being confident and grounded and loving who you are, which I think everyone should explore and have pride in themselves in that way. Uh, But we're going to look at the sin of pride and unlearn what pride means. And the way that we're going to do that is Doug and I are going to do a version devotion together. And so if you haven't downloaded the YouVersion app, I invite you to do that now uh, because we are going to be doing the devotion called Who Me And it is a reading plan about pride and it's only four days. days. And so you have a full month to do a four day devotion. Uh, And then we're going to have a conversation about it and talk about what do we agree with? What do we disagree with the scripture that it cited? What does it mean to us? What are we struggling with when it comes to pride and what do we need to unlearn about ourselves and the people around us and our faith and, uh, one of the things I want to emphasize is you do not need to do the devotion to feel like you can participate in these conversations. But. If you want to dig deeper and you want a little extra and you want to know the things that we're talking about, you have already read it for yourself. It's a great exercise to do. But if you just tune in and you listen, you're going to get something out of it because it's really just going to be us talking about our lives in reference to scripture and pride and what's going on with us. So we hope that that'll be beneficial to you.
1: Come on, you can do it. 30 days, four days over the next 30 days. Come on, <laughs> come on, you can do it.
0: So I want to invite you, download the Version app. I've included a link to the devotion that we're doing in this episode description. So check out the episode description, open up that devotion, follow along with us, and next month, let's unlearn pride together. So... Thank you for joining us today. I think yeah. this was a man we jumped in head did didn't I we? Know, I know.
1: I know. <laughs> it, it feels like we went from uh, swimming in the baby end of the pool to like on the high dive and we just jumped and uh Wow, here we go.
0: And there's more where that came from. Yeah, let's go
1: swim some more.
0: Let's do it. All right. So thank you for joining us today in the TREACH podcast. Again, this is the Unlearn Faith series where Doug and I are going to come together once a month and have a conversation, call out our biases, figure out what we need to unlearn. And I hope that you'll join us. So thank you so much.
1: Buckle up.